We're in a series, and I do apologize. I know your notes say Dave and Batten. I know you would rather him, but this is just the way it is. Once in a while, the old frog has to come back and do some croaking. Uh, we're in a series that I felt the Lord wanted me to do, and I just... It isn't that I don't care about the love of God. It isn't that I'm not interested. It just didn't connect with me. You know, like you get a thought, Frank, to teach something. You know what I'm talking about. To teach a subject. How many subjects are in your mind if you were asked to teach? Thousands. And so you get this saying, no, it's okay. And he's just, no, this is what we're teaching. Oh, okay, okay, all right. I'm all right with that. And so as usual, anytime any of us who have ever taught, and I pick on Frank because Frank, has done this for years also. We begin, and with each class, we get more excited. Is that right? We get more excited. And so, I I don't know how to get more excited than I am excited, but I'm more excited now than I was two weeks ago. Why? Because this Word of God grows in us, amen? And we get to know our God. I'm not going to go down that line. I just had a thought about this is not that class. So this is what we're doing. When the Bible says God is love, who can give me the quote? What scripture? Come on, it's right in the top of your notes. First John 4 verses 8 and 16. When the Bible says God is love, everybody with exception of a few ding-dings, agrees with this. Duncan, you agree with that? God is love. Jamal, you agree with that? God is love. Brother, you can sit up here with the rest of the people, but it's okay, it's okay. Wendy, do you agree with that? God is love. And so, everybody wants to talk about God's love. It's a wonderful and lovely subject. It's so comforting. It's so good to know. And so when you ask people in the world, we talked about this, that what, what kind of a God do you uh, believe in? Shoot, I didn't see your foot there. What kind of a God do you believe in, River? A God who loves. Who loves. You know why I call her River? Her name is Jordan. So, a God who loves. A loving God. And we've heard this before, where we as human beings, even as believers, be very careful, believers do this. When we see or understand or hear something that does not connect with our understanding of love, we say that that can't be God. How many of you have ever heard people say that? Well, my God wouldn't do that, or my God isn't that way. And especially for believers, we fall into this trap of allowing our natural sensitivities, our natural mind, our natural inclinations to define God's love. So this is what we've been about. So the attributes of God we have shared, not all of them, some of the fundamental attributes of God, saying that the attributes of God comprehensively And completely and equally and immediately and all together simultaneously, they comprise or identify or describe the very nature of our God. 
Correct? Are you with me? Do you remember what we've talked about? And that in the area, if you would, of attributes, these are the the descriptions of God that are essential to him being God. In order for God to be God, he must be immutable. In order for God to be God, he must be what? Sovereign. Remember the five? And the three omnis. He must be what? Omnipresent, omnipotent, and what? Omniscient. And each attribute is contained, if you would, in every other attribute. These are not separate, distinct issues, but these are descriptions of who God is in a way that we can at least some kind of way understand this God of ours. And so when we say God is omniscient, he is omniscient immutably. When we say God is sovereign, he's sovereign omnipotently. Are you getting what I'm talking about? We need to make sure we do not make this, we do not disconnect. We can make distinctions, but do not disconnect. A difference between a distinction and disconnecting. And so we come those are the absolute attributes of God. Is this in your notes? I think I covered some of this in the beginning of the notes just to refresh us. Yes. These are the absolute attributes of God. In other words, these are those attributes, these five that we've discussed. They're others. He's independent. You know, they're just others, but we didn't go into all of them. These are the absolute attributes of God, which means this. Without this particular attribute or any diminution, you know what the word diminution means? Any decrease, any diminishing, any diminishing of any aspect of any of his absolute attributes, God cannot be God. Do we see that? These are the attributes that pertain to the very essence of the being of God as God. That means that the Father is fully, if you would, of these attributes. The Son is fully of the attributes. The Holy Spirit is fully of the attributes. All three persons completely, equally, simultaneously, and forever, timelessly, if you would, possess these attributes, these absolute attributes. Then there is another set of attributes that we distinguish we call them what? Relative. relative or relational. I like the word relational, but it is also called relative. And, and there's a couple of other words, communicable and incommunicable, but I didn't even want to deal with those two because I don't think we're going to get the idea with those two words. Relational attributes or relative attributes. I think it's in your notes. Are you with me on the notes? These are those attributes which are the function or the activity of God's character. How many of you have ever heard, or how many of you have children or grandchildren? All of us probably, for the most part, if you don't. And you have a son or a daughter. And by nature, you know your child is very quiet and calm. Okay, that's how some people are. I am very quiet and calm by nature. <laughs> But then all of a sudden, this very quiet and calm child all of a sudden erupts 
And what do you say? That's out of character. Why? Because the character or the activity is a function of and a description of the nature. Are you following me here? So we must distinguish between nature and character. The nature is the very being himself. The character is the expression of that being himself. And we want to make sure we distinguish between the two. And often believers are very careless about this. And we should never be careless about these distinctions. They are critical. And so the relative or the relational attributes of God are those attributes which are which are the function or the character of God, the activities of God, the work and the ways of God that are the only way that he can define and describe and reveal his nature. We know God's nature how? Through his character. Are you with me? We know God's nature by what we experience of God, and that is we experience the ways and the works of God. This is pretty simple so far, isn't it? And I bear down on this because it is so critical to understand the love of God. Now, the distinction between the absolute and the, uh, the relative uh, attributes of God is this. The absolute attributes of God must be God's. He cannot be God without them. However, the relative attributes of God are those attributes that he decides freely within himself, within himself, because of who he is, because of what his will is in himself. He declares and he makes known himself to us through the avenue of these activities, which means this, that God does not have to express his nature through these attributes if he chooses not to. Correct? So, for instance, the attribute of God's mercy. Is God's mercy an absolute or a relative attribute? Well, we would have said, man, if God ain't merciful, he ain't God. No. No, that's not right. Because, you see, God's mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness, his forbearance, his patience. Do you get the picture? His righteousness. These are not necessary to the essence or the being of God. They are expressions of the essence or the being of God. And so these relative or relational attributes are always and have always been and always will be potential in God, but not active in God until the creation. And so the fall necessitated the expression of grace, the expression of mercy, the expression of forgiveness. Because think about it this way. Before the creation, what, what existed? God. Did anything else exist before Genesis 1-1? Now, within the Godhead, think it this way. Within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the relational distinctiveness there, the activity that is happening there, 
Is there any need whatsoever under any circumstance of God expressing mercy? Does the Father express mercy to the Son before the creation? Now, come on, come on. Why? Because mercy has to do with sin. Mercy has to do with imperfection. Mercy has to do with fault and failure and weakness. Are you with me? I must ask, oh, you're with me. I'm a school teacher. I used to give tests to find out whether you understand things. But I must know if you understand these things. I'm not here just to tell you something. I'm here so we're learning together. Are you with me on this? So forgiveness, so central to God. But is it necessary for God to be God in order and that he must forgive? No, not until he creates. Forgiveness is potential in God, but when he says, let there be light, forgiveness then is actuated in God because he knows that sin will come into the world. And he must, in order to maintain his purpose and honor himself and be consistent within his own self about his own purpose, he must forgive. Amen? See, forgiveness has nothing to do with what we need. Nothing at all. Forgiveness has everything to do with the accomplishment of God's purpose according to his eternal will. So is forgiveness, mercy, kindness, gentleness, and all of that, forbearance, is that essential to God's being? Can God be God without expressing those? Yes. Until the fall. Once the fall occurs and sin comes into the world... God has, listen to how I say it, listen to how I say it. God has self-determined in Genesis 1.26, he has self-determined that he must express these attributes. Because when Adam sinned in Genesis 3.6, Did God have a choice to continue or not to continue with humanity? Did he have a choice to continue or not to continue with humanity? No, he did not. He self-obligated himself. He said, let us make man in our image. And when God said, let us do that, and he did it, that was a decision that was self-determining and obligated through his own free will. This is what I'm doing. And in order for me to be maintained as an integrity, honoring God and a faithful God and a truthful God, this this purpose must be fulfilled. Amen. So there is a self-determination Not a determination exterior or apart or, you know, not of God, but it is a self-determination. I'm going way too long on this, but please, I think maybe we need to hear this. And I don't know whether we'll get into material today. David, you see, this is why it's so difficult for me to tell you what's coming next. And, And why am I belaboring this? Because I find that in the church... 
There's weakness and misunderstanding and confusion. And where there is weakness and misunderstanding and confusion in these areas, as in any area, but particularly concerning the love of God, then we are going to be confused concerning God's way with me, Charles. Or with the way I am as a believer, instructed to relate to issues in this world. And I always need to be as firmly as I can be by the revelation power of the Holy Spirit to be as accurately settled in and according to the character of God which is the display of the very nature of our God. Because to do anything else lies about God. You see, believers are the only ones who can lie about God. Unbelievers cannot lie about God. Because it doesn't matter what they say. But we are the ones in whom God's nature dwells by the Holy Spirit. And what we do and say is a statement about God. Nobody else can do this. Don't care who they are, where they're coming from, what they do, doesn't matter. Only those in whom the nature of our God has been implanted, imputed, has been given, gifted by the Holy Spirit. Only we who have the nature of God in us can falsely describe God. That's the problem with sin, isn't it? Isn't it? And so we must see that our entire relationship with God is not one of God's obligation to us. How many preachers do you hear almost saying God is obligated to us? Are you with me? God's obligation is to himself. And he has chosen that we would be the manifestation or the outworking or the means of declaring his obligation to himself, Mike. Do we, do we see this? And it puts us in the right place. Otherwise, we get into a place which is dangerously haughty, dangerously prideful. So that means that everything about me and my life and my walk, whether I'm married or not, whether I'm single, you know, everything is for God, from God, and about God. Amen? That's just the introduction to bring us up to speed. And so, we've said this. That God's relative attributes or the activity of his, that was only 15 sentences. Hmm. Or the activity of his character that are in keeping with his intrinsic holy nature. Okay, So remember, God's character or the relative attributes are a declaration in keeping with, they are in moral correspondence with his holiness. And I put in parentheses there what holiness is. Remember that? This is a very easy short it doesn't, 
it doesn't comprise everything about God's holiness, but it comprises that which I think is essential to this class at this time. Holy, without any fault, without any failure, without any weakness, having no corruption or sin whatsoever and forever, perfect and pure in every way and in every action. Holy. That's holy. And so the word holy is a comprehensive, is a term that comprehensively identifies God's ethics or his morality, if you would. I hate to say it that way, but I think you understand what I'm, what I'm saying. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will communicate. Holy is who he is comprehensively in himself. As the only being in all creation, that's why the word holy means totally different than and other than, only being in all creation who is perfect in all of his ways. Amen? So that means this, that when, God's, <clears throat> when God loves, when the activity of God's love begins to be manifested to and through his people into the world, to deal with us and to deal with the situations and to deal with whatever at all. That love is always a holy love. It is pure. It is perfect. It is without any fault. And we must make sure that this is ingrained in us. Why? Because in order to understand God's love, we must put it within this context. And when things are going on in our lives, how many of us have done this? We have questioned God's love. Anyone? Oh, thank you. Only, only two or three people have ever questioned God's love. No one has ever questioned God's love. Has anyone ever, why did you do this, Lord? What, what's happening, God? What, anybody ever do? We've questioned God's love. Amen? We've done it. You can't be a human being without doing it. So there are only three of you in here who are human. How many of you are alive this morning? <laughs> a few of you I'm not sure about. We've questioned God's love. It's okay to question God's love in order to know his love. Not in order to deprecate or to judge or to evaluate, but to understand. It's okay to ask God, you know, it's okay to do that, right? God's love is always a holy love. And the expression of God's nature and of his holiness in this context this morning is where the problem begins about God's love. This is the root of all that is misunderstood. Well, I can't say all, but so much of what is misunderstood about God's love. This is where the line in the sand is drawn. Even within the church, this is the problem with God's love. It is the issue of righteousness. The issue of righteousness. God's righteousness is one of his relative attributes. What does that mean again? 
He only expresses righteousness as a consequence of his self-free determination to create and to maintain and to pursue and to finally accomplish his original eternal purpose. Correct? Apart from the creation, does God act righteously? No, there is no need there. God doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need, the Father doesn't need to treat the Son righteously. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to relate to the Father righteously. And so righteousness is a relative or relational attribute which communicates his intrinsic holiness. So how do I know God is holy? Because I am acquainted with, at least in the word and hopefully in my life sufficiently and in the lives of others, I am acquainted with the activity of what is called God's righteousness. To seek to understand the love of God apart from having a fundamental understanding of God's righteousness will cause his, our understanding of his love to be distorted. In order to understand the love of God biblically, we must make sure that we are placing our understanding of his love within the context, firmly within the context of God's righteousness. God's love is a righteous love. As his is an omnipotent love, omniscient love, etc., Therefore, we understand that God's righteousness is a relative attribute that he exercised when, began to exercise this after the fall. Remember in the Old Testament, well, you won't know this maybe. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for righteousness and the Hebrew word for just is the same word. It's the same word, just and righteous. There's no distinction in the Hebrew word. There's no distinction in the Greek word in the New Testament. There is no distinction in the Greek or the Hebrew word. But there is a distinction between the word righteous and the word just. And we'll make sure we get this to make sure this this particular issue is clarified in our minds. The word just has to do with legal standing in relation to a legal requirement or a law. It has to do with courts. If a person is declared just, that means that the court has declared that this person has acted in keeping with a standard. Okay? He's just in relation to a standard. So the word just, make sure I said that correctly, has to do with legal requirements as related to the law. Okay? The word righteous has to do with behavior that is in keeping with God's nature. Now you say, well, what's the difference? Just is a declaration that what I have done is in keeping. Righteousness is the activity of what I am doing that shows me to be just. Does that help? Righteousness is the activity of what I'm doing that is in keeping with God's holiness. That shows me that I am just. So we don't want to get the two confused. Justice, justification, righteous, righteousness, righteously. Because when we read these words in the Bible, we can easily get confused in what is happening here. So 
So-and-so is a just man. What does that mean? It means that by God's declaration, not by man's manipulation or determination, but by God's declaration, God has said that you are just. That means that you are living righteously. What does that mean? That you are living in a way that displays accurately, biblically, his holiness. Do we, do we see the distinction here? Is that helpful to you? Okay. It's the same word in both testaments. The same word. What, what rules, which word? The context, right? The context determines which word is used. Is, is it a context of legal standing? Just. If I'm just, I've been declared by a judge to be in right standing to the law. In other words, I'm a law keeper. If I'm declared to be righteous, that means that my behavior is a manifestation that I'm a law keeper. A good word for righteousness, a good synonym, is that horrible, hateful word, obedience. Obedience. Oh, we don't like that word. Obedience. Obedience. Because you see, what we want to do is place our obedience in the realm of what's going on in me and to me rather than obedience is the reflection of God's holiness. Amen. We don't like it, do we, Lester? Obedience. I mean, do your two little girls love to obey every moment? Hmm? Not even this morning. (laughs) Obedience is the essence of the problem with us. Obedience has nothing at all to do with me, my circumstances, my feelings. What has happened, what will happen, what may happen, what, what should have happened. Obedience has everything to do with righteousness, with the declaration that our God is holy. And so can you begin to see how love must be intertwined in all of this? Because love, we will find out, is at both an, and what was the word I used? What, what kind of attributes? Absolute love is both an absolute and a relative attribute in God. It's both. We'll see that next time, maybe, if we ever get away from where I'm going today. We'll find that love is an absolute attribute. God is love. And God acts lovingly. The is love is a what? Absolute. Lovingly is what? Relative. He doesn't act lovingly until that's needed. And what has precipitated God's loving activity? Sin. Sin. At least in the way we're going to talk about it. So to say that God is righteous is to say that all of his behavior is in moral correspondence with his holiness, with his perfect and pure nature. To say that God is righteous is to affirm that everything 
listen to this. I, I want to make, I, I just, it must be in our guts. To say that God is righteous is to affirm that everything, how, how much? Bob, what did I say? Everything. Hemi, John, what did I say? Everything. Adrian, what did I say? Everything. Did anybody not hear me say everything? Karen, did you hear it? Ronnie, you didn't hear it? Let me come over to your brother and whisper in your ear. <laughs> everything God does or does not do is absolutely righteous. That's a problem. Man. God did this and I don't like And we begin to accuse God of unrighteousness. Is there anything God either has, will, or whatever done that is in any way unrighteous? What? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. No. Why am I emphasizing this? Because this is very much at the heart of the problem. Because we're going to see in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, God did this and this and this and this. And how can that be God's love? How can it be? Because we have disconnected God's love from his righteousness. When we find people critical, and what word do I want? Come on, what word do I want? Evaluative of whether or not God should have done what he did, especially in the Old Testament, we begin to question whether he was right or wrong, correct? And it's impossible because God has never done, nor never will do anything what? Wrong. Does that mean, Kevin, I understand everything in the Old Testament? No. I sit there scratching my head. I sit there quizzically. <laughs> For me, when I read some of this stuff in the Old Testament, oh, you know what I'm talking about? God wipes this out and does that or does the other. I sit there questioning how can that be? But the difficulty is my question is generated by my own unrighteousness or by my lack of understanding or by my too much connecting with humanity and not enough with divinity. The more I'm connected to God and understand him and his ways, the more obviously I will be more effective by the Holy Spirit to minister to others. And so will you. So we're in here in this kind of a class because it's not just a class of theology or doctrine or whatever we want to call all this. It's a class that communicates who God is so that we can understand him better in my life, in my relationships, in my wife's life, in my husband's life, in my children, et cetera, et cetera. And we can be about the father's business 
in the Father's way. This is what this has to do with. This is about God. Whatever God does or doesn't do. I mean, why? You ever sit up late at night a few weeks ago? Why did the saints lose? Come, no, wait, wait, wait. Seriously. Come on. How many of you really kind of wanted to question God on that? No, 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 really. Come on, come on. How many of you know God could have done it? How many of you know God could have done it? We all know. Anybody say, why not, Lord? No one said that? <laughs> We're going to have an altar call in this room. So every one of us were absolutely joyful and at peace and satisfied that the saints lost. Oh, well, no, really. <laughs> if you put it that way, of course. We just don't like the, the clear statement that we were questioning God. Donnie, I'd rather say I was dissatisfied, but I don't want to say I question God. But dissatisfaction means that I'm questioning God, don't you see? Come on, come on, church, come on. Let's grow up. The only way we're going to get matured is to know these things and admit them and walk in the good of God's repentance. Let me find out where I am. You, you, y'all, just, y'all get me off track. That God's every decision. What did I say? God's what? What word? Every. What word? Every. Every decision. Every action is morally and ethically pure and perfect. Is right. Is in keeping with his holy nature. Do you believe this? I'm going to stop here because if for me to go further on, it's going to get us into an area that needs maybe. And, and I'm so, I thank you, Lord, for doing this. Uh, I think we needed a little more grounding than what we had. And God grounds. He gives revelation. So this week, I want you to think about this. And you're not going to have a reason not to. Because Satan, remember John 10, 10, what? For the enemy, what? Cometh but to what? What? Steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan is going to challenge you in your guts this week. About this issue. You are going to see on television. You're going to see in your own family. You're going to see at work. You're going to see some way. Somehow. I don't know about this. I'm just not sure. And you're going to be challenged. Because the challenge of Satan and sin is always this. Is God really righteous we know he is so the question better is this Darren does that mean that God's righteousness is always good we can say he's righteous but the question is what is it good 
You're going to be challenged this week. So will I. But I've been being challenged because I've been working in this and walking in this. You're going to get challenged. And for the sake of the honor of the name of God. Stand up to it and say this. I don't like it. The things I don't like. But I'm not called to like it. I'm called to embrace. I don't understand it. Things I don't understand. I'm not called to understand. I'm called to embrace. And so stand up and say, you know what, Satan? I don't know all the answers. In fact, I don't know most answers. I'm so dumb, I don't know most questions. But I know this. My God is righteous. And that's good. See you next week.